You're listening to the So What Podcast. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in African-American brothers and sisters, Mm -hmm. Hispanic brothers and sisters, people from all over the world, every ethnicity. The United States... I would say that racial tensions are as significant at any time in my life as people who have the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in us, then we're the only ones who can do that reconciling work, bringing diverse peoples together, and and all on display for the powers who can't pull it off. Welcome to the So What Podcast, where we discuss theological and philosophical issues to ask that obvious question, so what? I'm your host, Kyle Bashirs, and I'm joined by our cast of contributors, Dave Kakish, Matt O'Reilly, and Brad Mills. On this episode, our cast of contributors discusses the sixth line in the Apostles' Creed on the third day he rose again. In the second of a two-part series, the gang answers the questions, Does it need to be a literal, physical resurrection? How should the resurrection affect our Christian identity? And what does it mean for Christ's kingdom on earth? But before we head over to our discussion again, we'd just like to thank you for listening to the So On Podcast and for sharing it with your friends. If you enjoy the show, please help our podcast grow by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. You can find out more information about the show and its contributors at SoWhatPodcast.com. Questions about this and any future episode can be submitted by emailing hello at SoWhatPodcast.com. You can also keep up with the latest news by following us on Twitter at SoWhat underscore podcast. Let's head over to our discussion. As important as the resurrection is to the foundation of the faith and how influential it is, or it should be, I should say, to the Christian identity, um, do you believe that you have to believe in the resurrection to be a Christian? I mean, Matt, do you do you believe that you must believe in a literal physical le- resurrection to be a Christian? Yes. What about you, Dave? Absolutely. Brad? Yep. So I'll answer it too. Yes. So all four of us believe you must believe in a literal physical resurrection of Christ. Why is that? I mean, I think for us, you know, maybe we're speaking with skeptics or our friends of ours who, you know, are struggling with doubt. Um, they might would try to appeal to some sort of spiritualized notion of resurrection. Mm-hmm. And, but, but it is the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ that, that drew um, the the disciples together and and gave boldness to their preaching. I mean, it, it, the risen Christ is the one who gave them the commission to make disciples. Um, this creed we've talked about, I can't remember if it was Doctor Haken or or who early on in the the show, but just talking about how this is this is an early uh, development. I mean, we're not talking about people five hundred years removed defining what it means to be an Orthodox Christian, but this this is an early statement of Christian belief. And um, it's this statement that, you know, he, he rose from the dead on the third day that, that united them around that. So I would say that. 
I remember taking a class uh, when I was in college, a class that Kyle actually teaches uh, as an adjunct professor at that college now. It was called Contemporary Religious Faiths. And one time we had a Unitarian Universalist come in to explain to us their doctrine and their beliefs. And they spent the first 30 minutes describing what they mean by Unitarian, that they deny that God is three persons in one nature and uh, argued for modalism, you know, and whatever. And the second part of their title as a denomination is that the universalist, so it really doesn't matter. What you believe about God. Yeah, what God. you believe right. about God. And so I'm just like, why waste that much time explaining that you're modalist <laughs> if it doesn't matter if I believe that God yeah. exists or he doesn't, or if yeah. he's a man or a woman or three persons? Or... And in a similar way, for those who deny a physical resurrection but maybe believe this was a masculine... A hallucination that Jesus is the model of righteousness par excellence that we should follow, or it was a spiritual resurrection only. The irony for them, to me, like the Unitarian Universalist, is you worship on the Lord's Day. The day of worship moved from Sabbath day to a Sunday to commemorate the resurrection of the Son on that day. Mm-hmm. And so it's just as foolish to me right, as the Unitarian right. Universalist. Right. Fact, we need to realize it. The idea of because we sort of say, well, maybe it's a spiritual resurrection, and you know, so we can not fit, we can feel better about not believing in a literal mm-hmm. bodily resurrection or something like that. That's just not what the New Testament says. That's right. Yeah. So there's, I mean, I, th- I think New Testament interpreters who sort of go off and say, well, you know, they believed in a bodily resurrection, but they got it wrong. It was really sort of a mass hallucination, uh, spiritual resurrection, and I can believe in a spiritual resurrection, and that's you know, that's cool. I'm I can be hip. Um, that you have to acknowledge that you take a different view than Paul, right? For Paul, for the entirety of the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus is something that happened to the body that went in the tomb on Friday. The body that went in on Friday is the same one that came out mm-hmm. on Sunday. That's right. Um, Contra you know, a lot of different beliefs. Yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses believe, for example, it was recreated this, to yeah. try to get around that. Yeah, yep. and that's not helpful. This idea of a spiritual body does not mean a body that you can't touch, that you can sort of see through, right? That's translucent. Mm -hmm. It's a body that is tangible, physical, touchable, that is empowered and enlivened by the Holy Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that, Matt, I hate to jump in here, but it's like a powerful thought I just had, is that, I mean, when Thomas is faced with doubt, like we're talking about here, people doubting the resurrection, I mean, Jesus says, hey, come feel my wounds, you know, and it's when he actually places his hand on the resurrected Christ that he cries out, my Lord and my God. You know, I mean, that that to me is is a good news that that God comes to us in our doubts yeah. concerning the resurrection. And he shows himself to be who he is. Mm-hmm. Would you call that evidence that demands a verdict? <laughs> it depends on if your name is Josh McDowell or not. Book plug. <laughs> a quick word off of what Brad said. Just in John 20, where Thomas does encounter Jesus and, and Jesus after he sees Jesus and he touches his hands, he says, my Lord and my God. Mm-hmm. And a uh, funny story. You've heard that before where the Jehovah's Witnesses will say, he went, my Lord, pointing at Jesus and my God. And my God, God pointing up. Up. Yeah. Like, I don't <laughs> think that's what he was saying. But then Jesus says something for those who Matt said are struggling with believing a physical resurrection. Jesus says, because you have seen me, have you believed? But blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Mm-hmm. And that's all of us today. And mm-hmm. so just that as you go on. No, that's good. When, when, I, when I think about it, that question, like, why do you need to hold on to a physical, literal, historical resurrection? And Paul gives us a really good list of reasons why in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 18, six consequences if we don't. Verses 12 and 13, Christ could not have been raised from the dead. 
14, the proclamation of the gospel would be hollow. 15 through 16, the apostles would be liars. Therefore, 17, the faith of the first converts would be nullified and Christians would still be under sin. And those who have died would be lost, he says in 18. That's everything. I mean, that's, that's the gospel that falls apart if there is no physical, literal resurrection. And then so he goes on and says, like, who cares? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, and we above all people should be pitied. I've always wondered what Paul would say to Pascal. That's Have I talked about question, this? Yeah. Pascal's Pascal, wagers. Pascal's wager, right? Mm-hmm. If we're wrong, well, then we're just like you. We're going to die and go to nothingness, and at least we and But Paul says if we're wrong, we're the most to be pitied because yeah. he's lost everything for Feel the sake of this gospel. Yeah. yeah. There's no Pauline wager, that's for sure. No, there is no Pauline wager. So resurrection as it plays into Christian identity, we see that it's foundational to the faith. Uh, We all here would agree that it was an actual historical event. If you take it out, Christianity is a house of cards that quickly falls apart. Uh, But with that, something that I don't think people normally think of is how does the resurrection affect the Christian identity? Yeah, so we are... um, we need to think about ourselves as uh, that group of people which will be raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not that group of people which will escape the world and go to heaven when we die, um, but that group of people which will be raised from the dead into a new creation, redeemed, uh, redeemed world. And, that, but, and that's Paul's vision. I mean, it's the vision of the whole New Testament, but particularly we've got a lot of, a lot of material in Paul where his focus is on new creation, uh, a world, cosmos set free from bondage to decay, mm-hmm. um, a glorious experience, the people of God who are um, raised into that world uh, are glorified, um, which was a big deal in the first century Roman Empire, mm-hmm. glory and honor language. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways Paul puts a positive spin on resurrection is by using the language of the Greco-Roman honor system to describe it. Uh, that would have been really important for the recipients of the letters in Rome. Readers. <laughs> in, well, all right, so he's writing to Rome, yeah, um, and he says the glory that uh, we we share with Christ um, far outweighs the sufferings of the present time. So that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, um, but even more so, is you see how Paul sort of takes his Judaism up into um, the resurrection, the future resurrection of all believers in Romans four, um, when he talks about Abraham. That Abraham, right? So the problem in Rome is. You've got sort of Jewish-oriented believers and Gentile-oriented believers who won't eat together and probably won't worship together since the meal is probably in the context of worship. Um, and so Paul is writing to them to, um, to to create reconciliation, have them welcome one another in the Lord as Christ has welcomed them, uh, respectively, and shore that up so that he has a solid base for his foundation, for his mission westward to Spain. Uh, it's hard to have a church support your mission if they're arguing over uh, if they won't even sit down <laughs> who, at the same who can table show right? up at dinner right yeah so um, one of the ways he does that is by appealing to Abraham and he points out that Abraham uh, was justified by faith before he was circumcised um, the mark of his Jewish identity follows the mark of his Christian identity and there's tons of literature out there on that one of the things that is maybe isn't talked about quite as much is that is the question well what sort of faith does Abraham have and Paul is explicit in Romans 4 that Abraham believed in the God who raises the dead. Um, and he even goes so far as to say, you know, Abraham's body is as good as dead. Um, and still he believes in the God who brings life out of death. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he has a son uh, out of his dead body. Um, and all that is sort of resurrection oriented faith for Abraham. Abraham's faith is interpreted by Paul in a way that coheres with 
the future resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus and the future resurrection of the body. Um, it's not just any old faith, it's resurrection-oriented faith. So Paul has given this sort of temporal or diachronic overtime construal of Christian faith that is characterized by faith in the resurrection of Jesus and of believers, past, present, and future. Right. So, so if how do we talk about what is it that sort of gives us a coherent story? Mm-hmm. Um, the resurrection gives us a, a coherent narrative. Um, so, f- for Abraham, the thing that gives coherence to his experience is he believes in a God who gives life out of death. He mm-hmm. believes in a God who raises the dead. Um, and so, one of the things that we need to do in our preaching, and in our writing, and in our teaching is when we talk about Christian faith justifying faith it's not just any right because faith is kind of a buzzword now right right just got to have faith you know this faith and there's that faith and there's all is you know the muslims and christians worship the same god and what about this faith and those faith and um it's kind of a thing and christian faith is defined in distinction right it's not just this amorphous thing with no object the object of Christian faith is the God who raised Jesus from the dead and who will raise those who belong to Jesus from the dead, mm-hmm. right? which distinguishes Christian faith from everything else on the face of the planet. And so our identity in this uh, pluralistic world that we live in is defined by our hope for resurrection. Mm. I like that a lot. There's not much I would add to it. Uh, one thought that I have is, uh, from the beginning, you have in creation God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. They have full fellowship with God, uh, not interrupted by sin. And then after, uh, after the fall, after they eat of the fruit, and uh, man and woman, and the curses are they're cast out of God's presence, out of the garden of God. And then you have this story of God making manifestations of his presence in tabernacles and in tents. There's moments where uh, Bethel, right, where Jacob has the vision and sees the ladder of heaven and earth and Moses on the mountain and then the tabernacle and then finally the temple. Uh, And then John starts his gospel, uh, you know, with the word that became Mm -hmm. flesh who dwelt among us. And then Jesus says, uh, you know, they're outside the temple. If you destroy this temple, I I will raise it up on the third day. And we know from the authors of the Gospels, he was talking about his body. So as he raises the temple up, resurrection, his body, God's dwelling presence is no longer mediated by a locale, a geograph- but he is how he ends Matthew, with us always, yeah. even to the yeah. ends of the age. And so his dwelling place is the whole world in Christ through us and the commission given to Adam to expand the Garden of Eden and be fruitful and multiply is ours. Uh, through Christ, and we we know that we don't, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. That God dwells in us and with us, and the whole world is his temple now, which is a cool thing that we would tie to the resurrection, because Jesus does. If you tear down this temple, I will raise mm-hmm. it up on the third day, and the temple being uh, the connection place of heaven and earth. So when Paul sort of gives this coherent account of Christian identity that sort of is focused on resurrection, the function of that in Romans is to get people of diverse ethnicities to sit down at the same table and be unified or, or it, it functions in part at least to facilitate that, that union. So um, by having that distinctive identity, that's the, the, the life of the new creation where if you have this, the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead and I have the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, then we sit down at the same table and eat, then we worship in the same room, then we go to the same Eucharist. Um, 
And so when we're doing works of uh, racial reconciliation or something like that, um, the, the, the theological foundation for that um, Christian identity comes through the resurrection. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in African-American brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. Hispanic brothers and sisters, people from all over the world, every ethnicity. And that means we worship together. It means we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Um, and that identity, that in Christ, resurrected Christ identity, is, is sort of at the top of the matrix mm-hmm. of all other identities. Mm-hmm. We don't lose our ethnicities, but they are in some way taken up into Christ for greater purposes. And so North America, the United States, I would say that racial tensions are as significant right now than the, are there, there, racial tension is at a higher level of, of it's fever pitch. I mean, it's, you could it's say it's painful yeah. right now, mm-hmm. more so than at any time in my life. And no government institutions have been able to successfully mm-hmm. fix the problem. Mm-hmm. I would say the church is the only people, the only group of people who has what we need to do it because we are the new creation people, and the resurrection is the first act of new creation. Mm-hmm. And as people who have the spirit who raised uh, a spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwelling in us, then we're the only ones who can do that reconciling work of peace. Um, hospitality, mm-hmm. bringing diverse peoples together um, to display the manifold wisdom of God, Ephesians three ten. Um, for whom to see? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that and and yeah. and and all on display for the powers who can't pull it off. That's, That's right. it. That's yeah. it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's really important stuff. That's good. We're, we're doing this mark and interpolation thing. Where so like I'm intercalating. So I cut you off. I didn't realize I was talking about temple and God's presence. And then you went back into how the resurrection ties into racial reconciliation and our relationship with each other, which also coincides with Ephesians 2, where if Christ is the temple and now we have access to God by him, so he is the place. Well, he is building a new temple, but mm-hmm. not of bricks and stones, but of people. people. Uh, and, and that's exactly what Ephesians 2 is yeah. talking about, what, what you're hitting on. So there's, you know, so that you're no longer strangers and aliens, your fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the Apostle Prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we, we did this cool thing unintentionally. That's nice, guys. That's yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've got a couple things I want to... I don't, <clears throat> don't want to jump in and, and be too pushbacky, but in one sense, I think there's a danger to over you know overemphasize inaugurated eschatology, especially with, uh, I mean, the fact that Part of part of who we are, I think, you know, and Matt, I hear I hear what you're talking about because um, I I love surprised by hope, and I, and a lot of what you're you talk about keep bringing up right. I mean, that's his big emphasis, you know that that oftentimes we're ready to get out of this old sinful world and go to heaven, and you know that's our that's our hope, and and it's not that it's a new creation. But part of the thing that that I might would want to add is just the tension of saying that like what what John says in First John that you know. The world looks at us and, and they don't see what we're going to be. But when we see him as he is, we will be like him. And, and uh, so there's still a tension that the resurrection secures for us future hope. But there, there is this sense where we might overhope and, and have an over-expectation of what can actually be accomplished in, in our world. Does that make sense? I- yeah, I, I can say it differently and tell me, and Matt, I'll give you a chance to respond. I think Wright sometimes overstates it because like, I would feel comfortable saying, we live now in anticipation of what we will be then. But sometimes, right, and I think he actually says this in After You Believe, we are now what we will be then in Christ Jesus. 
Yeah. So that's that's think, what you mean by overrealized, right, Brad? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. The, the overrealized, the, the the temptation or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear the temptation, and I, I would want to come back and say the hope informs and um, shapes our living, mm-hmm. our practices, right? Yeah. And so we 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 know we live we live in um, bodies that are still in bondage to decay. Yep. But then, but our but our manner of living is should embody um and i use the language of body there intentionally the res the our, our hope for resurrection of the body um you know so sanctification holiness um ethics all of that is the life of the future lived out in the present mm-hmm. uh, yeah now i may be a bit more optimistic than some folks about that um <laughs> Matt's a, a post-millennial and a wesleyan <laughs> you heard it here first right. um <laughs> but you know um but I'm. But I think that, in the power of the Spirit, I, I guess when when I when I get warned about having a, a too much of an inaugurated eschatology, I, I'm quick to come back and say, "Look, Jesus hasn't come back yet, and you know until He raises the dead, the project isn't over." But then, but I want to come back and say, "But you know what? Do we not have the Spirit of God dwelling in us? Um, you know, do we not? Um, have we not been commanded by?" our Lord Jesus Christ, to disciple the nations and teach them to obey everything he commanded? And does he not expect us to do that? And he's not given us his presence as uh, as, as an empowerment to do it. Um, and I think the reason that we're not successful is not because it's impossible, uh, but because we're just not obedient. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And I think, you know, that part of part of what I guess is, is my fear, and, and it's something we probably can all relate to, is that so often Christians in in our conservative Western evangelical circles, they don't have a biblical picture of what their future hope is. It's God and country, you know, a, a place where they can pursue freedom or whatever, you know. And it, it's not a suffering, you know, that if we suffer with him so that we'll live with him, you know, so that we'll live with him. It's not the type of thing that leads people to martyrdom that it was for the early church. It, you know, it's... The, it, the temptation, I think, when it when popular overrealized eschatology just has a different vision, a, a, non, a non-biblical vision, and I think that's my only my only concern. Well, can, I, I think you can I jump in there a minute? Or are we are we out of it? Um, I kind of want to say the experience of the first century church is not necessarily paradigmatic for the rest of Christian mm. Christian history. Think about the spread of the gospel over the last two thousand years. Um, has the gospel gone further? I mean, you know, to what extent has the gospel spread? Um, how are we doing in our mission? Right, uh, we're doing quite well. Uh, you know, there are dips here and there uh, where we lose ground, but by and large, the trajectory is upward, and things are are better, and the gospel is further, and more people know Jesus, and you know, so it's very easy to get sort of say, well, you know, there's ISIS and they're blowing things up and it's really <laughs> bad right now. And the gospel is, you know, America's going to hell in a handbasket and it's easy to get sort of crazy about all that. But we need to take the long view and remember that the gospel's going forward and we're gaining ground and Jesus Christ is Lord and, you know, his truth marches on. And, you know, if we take a look at the course of the gospel of the last 2000 years, we're doing pretty well. So what? Why do we as Christians need to believe in a physical resurrection? Simply put, the entire Christian faith hinges on the empty tomb 
vacated by a literal and physical resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Not only this, but the resurrection fundamentally alters the way we view ourselves. We are not simply people waiting to be whisked away into an ethereal afterlife, but a people anticipating a bodily resurrection to live eternally in the new heavens and the new earth. Until then, of the many things the resurrection means, it means for us as resurrection people, we can be united in the body of Christ as all things that separate us, class, gender, race, are met and placed second to our primary identity in Christ. Well, we hope you join us next time with special guest Dr. Travis Buchanan as we discuss the next line in the Apostles' Creed, He ascended into heaven, He is seated at the right hand of the Father. The So What Podcast is a production of the people of Mars Hill in Mobile, Alabama. For more information, visit pomh.org.